All right, bam, we're live. Thank you guys for joining the 1211 Culture Podcast, where we talk about productivity, entrepreneurship, investing, real estate, personal discipline, anything that helps us get better each and every day. My name is JC Utash. Thank you so much for listening in. I'm here with Rick Pobar. Uh, thanks so much for joining the show with me today. Um, quickly, to I just want to want to shout out Penda Coffee Co. I've said this in every episode. This is my coffee company that my wife and I have. Um, you can use code 1211 Culture for 10% off. Um, and yeah, this is BHR blend. Still good. It is yeah. very good. So, uh, how Rick, how would you describe yourself if you were in an Uber? What would, what would be the way you were to describe yourself? Oh man, I'm not a big sharer, so I don't, I don't talk about myself very often. And so this might, it might be really short. So ask more questions if you need to, but yeah. Um, pull the mic a little closer. Sorry. I am a, I come from a, a very low income family. Mm-hmm. So I would say I, I grew up with an awesome dad that worked six days a week and, and taught me how to do that. So that's what I'm really good at. I'm really good at working really hard. And mm-hmm. um, it's transitioned into some other parts of my life that's allowed me to work a little bit less hard. But yeah. um, if I was describing myself to an Uber, I'm just a, a really small town guy who is uh, lucky enough to own a couple of businesses. So. Awesome. No, I mean, that's a, that's a great thing. I think pretty much everybody that I've interviewed here has a, a similar story. And I think that, uh, I don't know, that hardworking mentality and that, that grind to want to be, to be better as, uh, it transcends just a, uh, I don't know, a manufactured motivation or a drive where something like, I wouldn't say I have this, but I, I think a lot of people that are given a lot or have to create a synthetic uh, motivation or grind to be to be better. And I think for someone like you, not that you had a, an advantage in any way, but it's something more intrinsic that you, it's it's a have to, not a I'd really like to kind of thing. Yeah, I, I can see how that could be different from someone who comes from money or someone who doesn't come from money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really think it comes down to recognizing that you need that synthetic um, motivation mm-hmm. and then just taking action on it. Yeah. Your, your action is no different than mine. It's just, where does that motivation come from? Really? Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. I, I think a lot of, I mean, honestly, you and I sit on different sides. We we're raised differently. Um, and I think my dad in particular, he just did a really good job at raising us. And I never, until I was like 16, I didn't feel like we were like super rich or like better. Cause I think my dad just made us work hard mm-hmm. and, uh, I didn't always appreciate it because I was like, this is hard. Yeah. But uh, I don't think anybody appreciates it. And I don't think any, any kid really knows any different until you get into the real world and you see, see real stuff. So uh, that's cool. Uh, before we get into more in-depth things, quick icebreaker. If you were to describe or if you were to choose somebody to a celebrity to play you in a movie, in a movie about your life from... You're a kid till now. Who, who would you choose? Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Oh yeah, I can see. I can see the the comparison. You look. Yeah, we don't look shocking. nothing alike. Yeah. <laughs> but if yeah, if, if I had to choose, and that was that, he'd be my choice for sure. I see. I wrote down for you. I thought Chris Evans. Okay. Which I can actually see. You guys do kind of look look similar. So, um, well, that's good for me. My my choice would be Taylor Lautner. Mm-hmm. I've been told I looked like Shark Boy. Yeah. As a shark boy and love girl, which I don't think is a compliment, but 
It's is what it is. Um, for, for me, I was just thinking I just want to hang out with the guy. Oh yeah, true. Yeah. Well, and anybody like strikingly handsome, that would be that'd be a good choice. Um, so you you own or you operate a, an insurance agency, that correct? Allstate Insurance. How uh, how did you get into that? Like, what was your what was your start? What what got you into insurance? Yeah. So um, it started from a young age. My dad sanded Bondo my whole life. So he was very well respected, but he worked in a body shop. He's, he's a great body man, and that's where I grew up. So summers were spent in the shop putting together doors for him, taking apart uh, detrimming, we call it. We've, I spent you know, my entire life in the body shop. So I got really good at, at purely just hard work in body shop. That transitioned um, later to insurance in the sense that body shops work with a lot of insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So um, it allowed me to move from working and knowing how to fix vehicles to writing estimates and repair estimates for insurance companies. In the, in, um, and we build relationships with these insurance companies and they start trusting you mm-hmm. as a preferred shop. Yeah, Allstate was one of my preferred companies um, at the shop that I was working at. And um, the more I worked with them, the more I respected them. There's a lot mm-hmm. of great companies out there. But I had an opportunity to work for them directly. Mm-hmm. So then they recruited me, pulled me out of the shop. I worked for them directly. And uh, um, I eventually wrote an estimate for an Allstate agent that wrecked her vehicle. Mm-hmm. So she wrecked her vehicle. Yeah. I'm her adjuster. I show up. Mm-hmm. And we're just talking. And my personality comes out. I, I'm a very social person. Yeah. And she goes, Rick, you need to be an agent. What are you doing working in claims? Mm-hmm. And I was like, That's, this is what I do. I, I love this job. Like, yeah. I get to travel around and visit all the body shops, write estimates, you know, supplements, do all the things. And I was very excited about that. It was a great job mm-hmm. um, in every sense of the word. And she goes, well, you could make money as an agent. And I said, well, I make good money now. Yeah. I'm very happy. And uh, she goes, well, just think about it. A month later, her vehicle's still in the shop, and I talked to her again. We're going over some stuff, and she's like, Rick, you have to talk to my sales manager about becoming an agent. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she does get an incentive for recruitment, so yeah. just to throw that out there. But I got in because one day um, this Allstate agent shows me her bank account. And uh, that was the day that I realized that the little bubble I was living in, working very hard, got that that hard grit instinct from my dad, um, wasn't translating to what I thought. I, I just, I was ignorant to the possibilities of, of what's out there. Yeah. And, uh, that weekend I met with her sales manager, yeah. um, fell in love with the company, fell in love with the package. And I opened up my first agency in, um, September, 2019. So what does that, uh, what does that kind of look like? What, uh, if, cause for me, or when I'm thinking I want to start my own business, I'm thinking, you know, like grassroots, you have to start from scratch. What does it look like to kind of, I mean, I would say it's your business inside of Allstate, how do, and that's very common within insurance. How does that, like, translate, or what does that process kind of look like? So in the sense of funding, um, I, I came to the table with nothing except a small savings account and a 401K that I built from working at the body shop. So for me... Um, Allstate, and most of them have some sort of minimal requirement, but um, Allstate's special in the sense where I own my book of business. Okay. Um, 
not all companies do that. So if mm-hmm. you work for State Farm, you work for them as an employee. I'm sure they treat their agents very well, but you can be fired and you have nothing. Yeah. Um, particularly with this opportunity, I own the book of business. Everything I build and create and, and attach onto it, um, I can sell, and it belongs okay. to me. So um, I forgot what the question was. Just what the, what the process is like to have your business started. So because you own the business, what was unique about it is you, you have to bring $100,000 to the table. Okay. So f- from, from my background, that is so much money. I have mm-hmm. no idea where to come up with that, right? Well, I was, yeah. l- I was lucky enough to where I um, cashed out my 401k completely. Yep. Just walked away from every savings that I'd ever made in the investment mm-hmm. sense. And I, I got a loan for $100,000. Hmm. And uh, Allstate approved me financially, approved me um, with my business plan that I wanted to put forward. Yeah. I had immediately recruited about four employees to open up with me. Awesome. And opening up that business, though, came purely from debt, right? Mm-hmm. No, it, and, and that's an important part of the conversation because when you don't have to have that debt structured, your, your cash flow strategy and the way that you run a business is totally different hmm. than when you have to... Um, immediately start paying back a loan yeah. while you're learning a new business, business yeah. first of all, but also um, learning how to, I was learning how to be a boss. Mm-hmm. I was learning how to run a team, how to mm-hmm. motivate a team. Um, and I was literally learning how to be an insurance agent, which I knew a lot about it from the inside, but um, sales is a very different beast. So. Yeah, for sure. What uh, does uh, Allstate come and do they give you like a training program or do they give you some sort of like, here's your zero to 100. This is what you need. Like all the supplies you need. This is a good location to be in. This is like, what, what's that process like? Or are they just like, figure it out. This is your business. Oh no. They give you a ton of resources, mm-hmm. um, a ton of resources from the business standpoint and a ton of resources from the logistical selling insurance, literally from which software program we use for quoting um, to, how to budget your business and how to keep uh, how much marketing dollars to spend versus how much um, premium that you sell versus what you can expect to to return on that in the future. So they give you a a ton of um, support. Looking back now, it was never enough. I mean, they could have gave me everything and it still wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. There was just such a huge learning curve and so much hard work and mistakes that had to have been made to to make that. I relate that a little bit to being in college a little bit because I, I think I was I was very lucky. I went into college with a good perspective of uh, I knew what a business looked like, and I knew just from my being around here and being in this business, I knew I, I could relate things a little bit easier to that. And then being in college, and they just give you information. Information is about as good as information is. It's just information. And now that I, I'm starting my own businesses and I'm looking at doing things and then learning even more about the business I'm already in, it's, uh, it's hard to say that I, I feel like I didn't learn anything from college because I'm like, well, when, I, I didn't know any of this. I'm on Google looking, at, looking up how to do this, and I don't even have a team that I have to run. Everything I do is it's all myself. So it's, uh, I can only imagine the, the struggle it is to have a, I don't know, a team that you have to work work through, and then that's beyond that. You still have the work that needs to get done. I know talking to my dad, that's his uh, his main thing. It's just managing a team. Um, it's a double-edged sword that 
<clears throat> makes it makes my business so rewarding and so much more profitable having the mm -hmm. team that I have. I'm sure. so lucky. Yeah. Um, but my personality kind of allowed me to have a leadership role at the body shop, which allowed me to kind of transition into this. Sure. Yeah. And something we haven't talked about was I was lucky enough to own a small business before that, which was um, a small gym, uh, the mm -hmm. CrossFit gym that we own that yeah. at, just uh, me, and, uh, me and my buddy own it. it it's not a, a, a huge enterprise by any means. But what we do have is a, a lot of uh, coaches mm -hmm. that work with us at the gym and that it, being having a leadership role there kind of allowed me to deal with a lot of different personalities um, a lot of working hand in hand and a lot of working you know subordinate uh, style management yeah and uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I got to take that with me into this project because it, it really did help me out sure a ton. yeah well but having that that team being able to create and invest in a team from day one, I'm really happy that, that I did that. Um, I still have a few people on my team from day one who awesome. learned the business with me from day one. Hmm. Um, and man, we go to battle every day together. Mm -hmm. It's so rewarding to have that, that great team. And, and without a doubt, if I could just get one point across, it's uh, we are a successful agency. We mm -hmm. started, and this is important too, my first agency I opened, I started from scratch, yeah. zero dollars on the books. Mm. So everything we did was building. Hopefully, in the future, we'll have some residuals. Yeah. Um, and we were one of the fastest growing insurance agencies in New Mexico wow. for the last couple of years, mm -hmm. and um, have built it up to about. Um, uh, we went from zero to about one point six million in, wow. in two years. Jeez, that's awesome! Wow, that's amazing. That uh. Especially insurance. I mean, I, and I know I've learned a little bit about insurance, and I know a lot of it is just building that book of business and getting residuals. And I think that's a cool aspect that's very different than like real estate or construction is that you, well, it's double edged sword. You have to earn business every year and you have to earn their business back every year, but you have that lead or you have that uh, ability to spend that year earning their business back. So, uh, yeah, that's. That's cool. And I, I do have a note for talking about TBE and we can kind of go into that and kind of compare and contrast a little bit between those businesses. But what kind of going back a little bit even more, what, uh, how'd you find CrossFit? Like what, what got you into doing CrossFit? Uh, a, a friend of mine from the military told me to come try it. Yeah. And we did some crazy body weight workout out in, in the middle of a park. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. even at, in a gym. It was in a park with some random makeshift weights and medicine balls we made. Um, and I just I immediately fell in love with how hard it was. Yeah. And that the, the difficulty of that workout regimen um, is why I knew it was, it fit my personality. That's awesome. Yeah. I, for me, I started young. I, I, I've been doing it because of my dad. I mean, I credit pretty much everything I say because of my dad, but I would go with him and he's, he's pretty, pretty good. He's super fit. Um, that's, that's where I met him. Actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he, I feel like that CrossFit's a cool, cool situation because I, I remember watching a documentary. It was one of the, uh, CrossFit games documentaries. And they were saying, talking about how CrossFit's not the CrossFit games. It's a, it's a box and you uh, yeah. get to really suffer and, uh, struggle with a janitors right next to a CEO and you get to just create that bond and struggle together. Um, which I think is very rare or very different than other gyms. I know there's like, you know, Orange Theory, F45, things like that, that are, I think, 
getting on to that uh, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, I think that, I, to me, I think that's really the main reason why CrossFit is what it is today is because just like, I think struggling as a, as a team is a uh, super, super important. Do you, what, do, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that there's three pillars of fitness and people only talk about the first two, which is diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. And that third pillar is accountability. And um, that group training, group fitness type of, of environment creates bonds and friendships between people where is even, even if you don't have anybody to support you in the gym, what's different about, about CrossFit is that we, we, like you said, we suffer together, but we also talk. How many mm-hmm. times have you gone to our big box gym, which I don't put down at all, they work, but everybody has a headphone on. And if you have to take your headphone off to talk to somebody, it's almost annoying. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the CrossFit gym, I have to kick people out. I'm like, guys, you got to go. You gotta there's, leave. Yeah. there's a new class. There's, there's, yeah. We got, uh, you know, it's even, it's, dude, it's late. I got to <laughs> I gotta I gotta go, go home. home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but we funny. just want to hang out with each other because we suffer mm-hmm. together. We create those bonds. And I think really believe that the success of consistency over time is that accountability mm-hmm. piece yeah. and that accountability piece comes from relationships yeah I, I think that's a I don't know if, if any company or any large company did anything right was figure out a way to turn a huge billions of dollar company and make it something to where you can relate cross it to one person that you know and you know you've been together with and struggling mm-hmm. which is interesting I think CrossFit has its uh, pitfalls and it's it's good and bad within Absolutely. their leadership and uh, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that because as a, a gym owner how as uh, Allstate is because they give you a good plan of action this is how you should run your agency successful and from what I know about CrossFit there isn't really that yeah it's a uh, your box can suck and I, I've been to boxes and to gyms that I don't know if they're referred to as boxes anymore. I like to just cause it's a, yeah. for the, I don't know, the nostalgia of it, but I've been to gyms and I'm like, wow, this is like, I'm using a bar that they bought at Walmart and like everything, this is like, it's still fun, but it's, there's a standard that I think should be held Absolutely. as a gym. Uh, how, how does that like compared and contrasted and what? So they've, a lot of changes have happened um, to CrossFit over the last five years, um, specifically in the last couple of years, They've done an awesome job of, and I think uh, 2020 and the, and the pandemic of um, gyms and fitness facilities across the nation really suffering with the shutdown yeah. is the good gyms, the, the ones that had a good foundation survived. Um, and what CrossFit realized was that maybe they should invest more time and energy into making more fundamentally sound businesses. Hmm. And if it, they have an incentive to do that, like, the more successful we are, the more raving fans that we build, the better the bigger brand um, totally yeah. gets built. And just and I have to give them credit in the sense that you're right. Um, when I got when I became a, a CrossFit owner about five years ago, there was zero help, zero guidance. It's we all know how to work out, and we can get a we can we're, we get some training in the sense of helping people get fit, but there was zero business help. And now there's an entire series of um, groups that, that CrossFit gym owners can sign up to. Mm. Um, we share sharing information, sharing financials, sharing um, the best way to keep and retain customers. So we have a lot of key performance indicators that we use within a recurring um, subscription business, kind of like mm-hmm. a gym. Yeah. And um, they, they really have helped us 
reorganize our thoughts on that point. Okay. That's awesome. I know, I know the CEO of CrossFit has changed. Let's see. I mean, that would be like four times now within the last five years has from what I've, what I've seen. And I think Don fall is his name or foul or something. Um, is that his name? I, I can't remember. It's something like that, but have you, I, I somewhat relate it to like the president, like everybody thinks when the president is elected, Oh my gosh, my life changes. And like, nothing really changes. Right. I mean, things change, but it's not, uh, except for this year, I feel like nothing has actually like changed, changed. Do you feel that more whenever leadership changes in CrossFit? Do you feel like a difference whenever it went from one of the CEOs to the next one? Well, in the sense that it had to change, um, you know, social, um, s- social influences forced the first change mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the better, and it was for the better in a lot of different reasons, but um, the your I, I agree with you completely that the overall mindset doesn't change at all, and it, certainly my day to day did not change, not a single bit, yeah. as leadership within the CrossFit community changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our local community has a local reputation, yeah. and it was very influenced very little by the bigger picture of, sure. of yeah. leadership in CrossFit. Of course, what a uh what was it like whenever, or that feeling? Because I know, I know, I had a certain feeling because I was I was in college whenever the pandemic hit. What was, and to me, that feeling was purely selfish. It was, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I need to go home now, and I'm gonna work when I get mm-hmm. home, and I can't hang out with my friends as much anymore. But for you, as a, a business owner and a business that was very directly impacted by uh, yeah. the pandemic, what what was that like? Like how how I don't know. Just talk me through that experience, I guess. Yeah. It, so balancing public safety with my bottom line of my bank account, that's huge. That's, it's so emotional to go back and forth between those norms. And um, I really think it came down to because the unique area of being in the fitness industry and fit, healthy people weren't impacted by COVID almost at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, pe- people might yeah. listen and argue with me, but let's look at the statistics. If you're able and healthy and going to the gym on a regular basis, you are, you are surviving COVID. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to die from it. Oh, yeah. So, um, from us being working in a community of people that show up every day and work hard and stay healthy, it was mm-hmm. very frustrating that my community suffered so bad yeah. with with a 99.9996% likelihood of surviving uh, this virus that, that was floating around. And uh, without a doubt, there was a whole population of people who had a much lighter, higher likelihood of dying. Yeah. And we needed to protect them. Um, but shutting down my gym certainly wasn't yeah. protecting them. Well, and it's not a... I've voiced my opinion a lot about the pandemic, and I think it's a a good topic because I think it's having a huge impact now or more than we even think. I think we're just very short-term minded, but uh, things just have impacts on things. And uh, I, I think, I don't know, we, we lost the the personal responsibility, I think, almost completely. Yeah. And, uh, or even the people that do have a personal responsibility weren't allowed to have that. And I think that's terrible. And I think that had way bigger impacts, not just because now we're a lot, we're protecting the old people, but we fundamentally changed the mindset of Americans mm-hmm. in that 
you don't need personal responsibility. You don't need to be uh, fit. You don't need to be healthy. You don't need to do any of this, these things because if we tell you you can't do something, you're not doing it. Yeah. And I think there's a, a slow change, and I think if you were to tell uh, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, hey, someday you're mm-hmm. going to – we're, we're going to tell everybody you have to stay inside yeah. and you can't start a business and you can't, I think they would have thought that's crazy. And then I, what I think is even crazier is that Americans still want it and that we were excited about having our freedom taken away from us. And I'm sure it, this is a, I don't know, doesn't fall on deaf ears that it, it, changed us a lot more than we think, not just in the sense that we slowed down our economy and mm-hmm. everything's going to fix itself. I think it, from the econ- economic standpoint, I think a lot of people lost a lot of money and lost their livelihood. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate. And I think, unfortunately, I think that happens. I think that happened in the great depression and, uh, happened in 2008. And I, I think that stuff happens and that's unfortunate, but I think just that mindset change of you no longer, have the ability to take care of yourself, you're going to have to listen to us. And we actually don't even want you to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. unless it means taking the vaccine that we make you take. Right. Um, And I think two things. Um, We, I think it's being a data driven person. I'm all about like, I am quick to change my opinion. If you show me data that can prove it. Um, I don't have a whole lot of pride when it comes to business, especially teach me something new and we will shift and pivot. And I'm, I'm that way in life. My, my, my wife works in the medical um, field. She's, we're, we're all about taking the most useful information and um, taking advantage of it within our family. And when it, the pandemic first hit, I'll be the first one to say that I had no problem with us making changes <laughs> as we learn about this new thing. Sure, yeah. Right? And, um, but the problem was is as new information came in and we learned people didn't change and pivot and create new realities based upon the data that was given to them. Yeah. We simply took the fear and mm-hmm. made every decision based off that fear. Yeah. And so um, I, what breaks my heart is I was lucky enough to have the, the foundation and the, the resources and the overall ability to pivot and make both of my businesses successful. The yeah. gym was um, open through the, um, survived through the pandemic I literally opened up my agent, my first big business um, months before the pandemic yeah. hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only did we survive, but we did very, very well through through mm-hmm. everything. And it breaks my heart of every business owner that's working at a job right now because they had to file bankruptcy for decisions, like you said, that um, were forced upon them mm-hmm. that now looking back, we know without a shadow of a doubt had zero impact on safety. Yeah. But imagine filing bankruptcy and losing everything on a forceful decision that three years later, you you know that didn't help anyone. Yeah. And that's and then imagine after that re-electing everybody that did that to you. Which yeah. is what New Mexico just did. Which is what you yeah, and I was I was gonna <laughs> mention that. I, I think I don't know. I thought that the these last midterm elections were kind of crazy to me a little bit. I was just like, wow, first first chance. I mean, New Mexico, I felt like we had a pretty solid candidate that could have done yeah. some good things. And uh, I don't know. I, I just, New Mexicans, I I mean, my, so I lived in Dallas for three years. Oh, yeah. And Dallas is very different than New Mexico. Um, I think it's better. I, I, I think 
there's some things, and I think like people make comparisons. Of, oh, California and New York are terrible. I've been to California and I've been to New York, and I really don't think they're terrible. I think they're pretty nice, and I think there's a reason they're nice is because of the location and a few different factors. But the problem that New Mexico has is they have the same terrible policies of a California and a New York, but they don't have, we don't have any money. Yeah. So we can't do anything to... All the disadvantages and none of the advantages. Yeah, and somewhere like Texas, where Dallas and Austin and Houston are very liberal places, mm-hmm. but they have a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so it, uh, I don't know, it works out to where you get all the creativity and empathy and all, all, all that stuff that I, I do think are valuable qualities that liberals have. Um, Absolutely. But, I, agree, uh, I agree with that. Yeah. They uh, tend to, and through the pandemic was kind of showed that, is the empathy turns more into fear and fear turns into control and then people take advantage of other people. I think if you're, if you think you're, leaders are taking or are just lovingly serving you i i think uh there's a few different influences that are in their ear that may maybe they are really nice people and i don't think everybody's just a crazy psycho but uh i don't know things are uh weird and more uh shocking than i think we we may know but there's good qualities to every everybody. There's good qualities on both, and I think that fear is is taking advantage of no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Um, but shifting to and piggybacking off what you said earlier, if you think that um, electing a new president is going to change your life, you're you're mistaken. Yeah. And I think um, the real point that I'd like to get across is I will be successful no matter who's in office. I choose yeah. to live in New Mexico, who has very certain ideologies when it comes to politics. Yeah. Um, and I will be very successful in New Mexico. Yeah, and, and if I moved to Texas, I would be very successful there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never move to, to California, but yeah. <laughs> um, just in the sense like there's just there's so many great places that sure. I would go to. But the point being that I will use what's at my disposal to work very, very hard and be successful. And I'm lucky that the lessons that I've learned so far through my business endeavors have given me this new foundation that now I'm going to take to my real estate investments and to my um, expanding my mm-hmm. um, my insurance career, expanding my gym career. Those are just great fundamentals that I'm blessed that I survived the pandemic through because now it just makes me stronger and better. And I don't care who we elect at this point. I don't care who's in sure. office and I don't care. Um, I mean, I do care in the sense where I absolutely go vote and I absolutely try yeah. to um, do my best to mm-hmm. collect the data and make the best decision. But it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility to be successful. And yeah. and if and if you're a victim and sitting at home as a victim, um, I promise that's your fault. Yeah, it certainly wasn't the Democrats' fault, and that certainly wasn't Joe Biden's fault. That's, yeah, that's your fault that you're unsuccessful. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I I think that was awesome. I don't, I don't think there's anything good to add. I think you're you're right. If you're going to be successful, I think. I mean, you just showed you have belief in yourself, and I think that's what you need. And I think. I know a lot of successful people in New Mexico. I know a lot of successful people in Texas, and I know a lot of successful people in California and whatever. Yeah. And they're successful because they chose that they're going to be successful. And I think that's a some people. I've been in arguments with people that think that's not true, but uh, I think it is. Um, so I, I appreciate you saying that. I think that's cool. Um, going through uh, insurance and TBE, and then we'll go into your real estate a little bit. What what has been the the biggest challenge, maybe not necessarily COVID, but I know with TBE, there's been 
quite a few challenges, uh, whether that be location and uh, leadership and kind of how that whole structure works. So what, what is it? Well, I'll just ask this question. What, what, what is it like to deal with a, a team where you're dealing with leaders, but at some point there needs to be a, a final say or like the, the main, main decision, main leader? How does that work and work? How does that, what have you learned from working with those kind of different personalities, I guess, and empowerment without degradation, but ultimately holding a, a line? Does that make sense? I think it, I think it does make a lot of sense. And there's a small piece of my career that kind of goes without, when I was younger, I actually worked at a prison for five years. And so there's like this little window there where I got away from the body shop and did something else. Oh. Um, and in that time, it was very, very useful for my communication skills because when you're working as a guard in a, in a prison, you learn that, first of all, there's a ton of good people in there that made bad decisions, and there's a ton of really, really terrible people in there yeah. who take advantage of everything. Hmm. And being able to walk that line and learn how to communicate with so many different personalities, literally in the sense of defusing very aggressive, violent situations, um, and also having weeks where it was just a very normal job where there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on and just people good people that did bad things that you just happened to be standing next to as you're working yeah I learned how to talk really well and you learn how to communicate with human beings that um that all they want is some respect Hmm. but you have but at the same point you need to hold a very strong line of authority because that's where people do shady things is yeah. they blur this line hmm. that shouldn't be crossed. And I think that skill kind of led me into a lot of different positives in my life. And I'm very grateful for the time that I spent there. Um, and teaching a team of CrossFit coaches who are very alpha, the females are very alpha. They are just, hmm. you know, beasts and just very good at working hard through pain. And I think that's a, a um, an aspect that that goes overlooked, like we're literally getting better at working through stress every single day. And you just, you take that with you to business, you take that with you to your leadership and taking that with me to my role as the leader of the leaders within the CrossFit gym. um, It's, there's a fine line between allowing things to happen around you and um, putting your pride aside and, allowing your leaders to do what they do best, which is lead. Yeah. And if you're not taking advantage of the awesome opinions of the leaders around you, then you're, you're doing yourself a disservice to you, mm. to you and your business. Mm. That's interesting. I, I think that uh, dynamic is so, it's hard, especially in the CrossFit gym. Because the CrossFit gym, I, I think that, uh, like you said, that, that bonding of suffering together, it creates a hard person and makes somebody, especially I think women especially, get very impacted by this. I think some men are just, you know, are alpha by nature. For sure. Um, and some women are too. I I just think it uh, impacts women very positively in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just a weird, it's a hard climate. I, I don't know how to operate through. Uh, it's, inter- it's just an interesting perspective to know how to yeah, if navigate I, if that I, If road. I had to say this is how you do it, you can't because – there's, you know, um, there's different personalities. Mm-hmm. Even alphas have different types of personalities sure. within, within that subset. And I think that in, if you put me inside of a different gym, 
I would figure it out, but sure. there's not a one size fits all cookie cutter approach to leadership. I think you need to listen and communicate with the people around you. And then there's a way to talk to each of them. So you might have a whole room full of analytical people that just want to analyze everything and it doesn't matter who's in charge. All that matters is that the jobs get done. And then you have a bunch of people who are, um, they call them peacocks. They just want to walk around and everyone look how good I am. Yeah. If, if a, I have a peacock and an owl, right? And my owls need to be um, shown the data and my yeah. peacocks need to be tapped on the head and told how right. beautiful they are. Yeah. Who's, what's wrong and what's right? What's, what's right is as a leader, it's my job to take all of these personalities and create a functional business yeah. out of it. And I think, the, I mean, the true uh, mark of a leader I've heard is being able to read people and then understand their, uh, what makes them tick. So, which is uh, interesting because you, you think in life you have to, if you get good at a skill, that's what makes people better. But I think ultimately what I've learned from leaders is that the greatest skill is to make people feel good and uh, empowered through their skill that they're probably going to be better that at than you doing 10 mm-hmm. skills. I like that. I think empowered is a good word there. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've heard you say a few times and you just have a really like a, a strong uh, belief in yourself. And like you said, like I will be successful and said, if it was in a different situation, I will figure it out. Where do you kind of get that? Uh, I don't know that belief in yourself or that uh, requirement of success. Um, I, I couldn't tell you where I got it from. I, maybe it's just because I know that, um, I, I know that I'm, I will work hard. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I will outwork every human being on the planet, but Mm -hmm. I'm the type of guy where if you put me in a room full of people, I'm probably the hardest working person in that room. Yeah. So humbly, I know that if I fail, it's because every single opportunity that was there was exhausted mm. and then I failed. Mm. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, I my conscience is clear. So my confidence comes from a point where if failure does occur, it was completely outside of my control. Mm. And I'm I'm a very logical person, yeah. which allows me to be very objective in the sense of um you give me a whole list of negatives and positives. And the only thing I really care about is what's within my control within that list. I take it and I run with it. And if you can apply that to every aspect of your life, from your marriage to your, um, to your business, to your fitness, to your finances, I think it's a pretty, um, happy way to live life. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a, I guess that's the only way you can do things though, is your, uh, if you do everything you can, you have to be, uh, I think that just creates confidence through it. You can't be, uh, it, it eliminates the the fake in you. I know for me, I mean, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm young, but I feel like I've failed at a lot of things um, already. I think I've given, been given lots of opportunity more than most to fail. Um, but the times that I failed and I feel really happy about my failure and that I know that I'm going to be successful through the next one, which is a weird thing to, to say, to be happy about my failure. But I, I am because I know I exhausted all my resources and I, I actually did my best. But uh, something I heard, um, I can't remember who, maybe Alex Hormozzi, but he was saying uh, one of the ways to stay poor is to do your, to do your best and not what's required. 
And I think because that gets into the kind of, I don't know, to me, the airy notion of, oh, do your best. And nobody does their best. I don't think anybody like actually does their best. Yeah. But whenever you change that to, and I feel that you, you have that as, I'm going to do what's required to be successful, whether that be my 100% or my 90%, I'm going to give 100% to the requirement yeah. that is success, um, which is a, I don't know, a really cool uh, cool way to outlook on life, I guess. Um, moving into your more of your investments. So I talked a lot about income, and I think income is uh, important for creating and uh yeah a lot of people think investing is the only way to get rich and i think if you're investing a hundred dollars a year you're not going to get very rich because it's not a lot of money you need to need to hire income mm-hmm. but uh everybody starts somewhere but you uh have kind of created or um acquired a good real estate portfolio what uh what kind of de- made your decision to invest into real estate as opposed to you're more into for your 401k or your gold or something like that. Yeah. So real estate has always been, I fell in love with it when I was still in high school. Um, so my parents, my dad's the hardworking six day a week, just grinder. And my mom is the saint, Mother Teresa. She is the nicest woman you'll ever meet in your life. Uh, very easy to take advantage of because she's <laughs> so loving and trusting. Yeah. We have to protect that woman because she's just so giving. Sure. Yeah. So I think I got a, a, some good attributes from both of them. Um, but one thing that I'm so grateful for my dad for, because they grew up, both of them very poor, and they never, uh, now they're doing very well. But mm-hmm. um, all through, I was in high school into college, they were terrible with money. <laughs> into credit card debt up to their eyeballs my entire life. Just very, um, their their financial IQ was, was low because they were just not raised around that environment. Mm-hmm. So one day my dad told me I was 17 years old and he was just like, Rick, I am not going to teach you how to spend money. And he found this free real estate um, conference to go to in Albuquerque. And it happened to be uh, a Robert Kiyosaki event. Really? Um, and I see Rich Dad Poor Dad yeah, on, your, was, on your bookshelf. That was the first one I reviewed. <laughs> it, was a, uh, it was a free event. And what wow. they do is they bring you to these free events and they teach you um, some bullet points. Yeah. And then they sell you their the course or the, the course, whatever, right? yeah. But it didn't matter. I went to this event. I saw three bullet points, and I was just like, this is how rich people get rich. Yeah. And um, since then, I've um, always kept anything that I can put my hand on with real estate. That's what I do. And um, I'm sure there's people with a ton of horror stories out there, but I can promise you it is the most fundamental and relatively safe way to accumulate wealth from somebody like me who came with nothing. So (laughs) I worked at the body shop. Um, making like 11 bucks an hour, you know, um, eventually making commission, which increased my, my capacity. But um, I bought my first house in 2009, right after uh, the, the real estate crisis of yeah. America. Mm-hmm. And um, I kept that house. I, j- I actually just sold it recently to open up another real estate office or oh. another insurance office. Awesome. Yeah. So it, I use, I've used my real estate to benefit all I'm of sure my businesses. Appreciate it like crazy too. Forever. But I rented out. I bought that house and I lived in it. Yeah. Um, moved out and rented it out. Awesome. Um, me and my wife, my girlfriend at the time, we moved to um, another house, moved in there, mm-hmm. later purchased it using the rental income and my job to buy yeah. my second property. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, moved to our next house, rented that one out, bought our third property. Mm. 
yeah. and just recently bought an, another property and uh, rented out. So yeah. now we're, um, and there's actually another one in there that happened just through uh, wonderful opportunities and people around us. But now we have a small real estate portfolio that's mm -hmm. cash positive every single month. Awesome. And I didn't spend a dime of my own money on it. It's you, wow. leveraging the bank's money to create an opportunity to rent it out. And um, yes, there's headaches with renters. Yeah. Uh, there's due diligence that has to go into any investment that you do. But it just goes to show um, somebody that went from making $11 an hour to owning um, multiple properties that cash flow every single month. Mm. And there's nothing special about the process other yeah. than I did it. And somebody else might take that opportunity to sell their home and upgrade to a bigger home and upgrade to the next big thing. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that if that's where your priorities are at. But yeah. um, we chose to live well with below our means our entire lives, mm. even, even to this day. And uh, it's given us this awesome opportunity to where now we have a goal every two years um, buy one more residential property. Mm -hmm. And if, if things line up and opportunities arise, which they will in the coming years, um, do a lot more than one yeah. every couple of years. That's awesome. I think uh, that's kind of just like the modern uh, success or real estate success story is, uh, uh, I shouldn't say, well, it's just taking advantage of uh, opportunities and knowing that, uh, like dying to yourself a little bit in that, well, you have the opportunity to buy a new house and you could get something a lot nicer and a lot bigger and better for you. You decided to be disciplined and ultimately accumulate things. And now I'm sure after however much time you've been investing, you're, I'm sure you feel it's been well worth the 10-year sacrifice or whatever it was. Yeah. To and it's not so much a sacrifice as much as just having a high uh, financial IQ. Yeah. Um, I absolutely read every book I can get my hand on. I've read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad multiple times. And it's just a pure mindset of assets versus liabilities. And um, not, not everybody has to own businesses like I own businesses. Yeah. Um, go to your job every single day and be disciplined enough to put 20% of your income away. Mm -hmm. Like, Rick, I can't afford 20% of my income. Well, that's your, that, yes, you can. Yeah. You're choosing to spend money on other things. Sure, yeah. Um, Without a doubt, there you can budget a large, a much larger chunk of your paycheck than you are right now, to saving up ten thousand dollars for your next rental property, but you won't because you like to do other things. And yeah. like I said, I'm not um, shaming anybody, mm -hmm. but talk about I will be successful. If maybe if you shifted your mindset to what we've been talking about today, you would have your first rental property in the next sure. couple of years. Yeah, um, and. You don't need to own businesses like I do to do that. No, yeah. I, my, my dad has explained that, and he's actually been very, um, I don't know if he would appreciate this, but very against us wanting to start businesses. He's been very positive and very encouraging when, like, for me, I made that decision. But he, he knows the, the struggle in starting a business, and I think starting a business has a big, uh, I mean, I'm still probably blinded by the, uh, shining lights of oh I'm a I'm a business owner look how awesome I am and you think everybody's gonna kiss your feet when you walk in a room I from the experience that I I've had and the from what I what I've seen and talked to people about it's not that um, it's really a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of 
feeling like you need to take care of people. Um, but that's, that's interesting. I think it's just, I think you just have a great mindset, honestly. You have to want to, to help other people. I could tell you this. I know that I get so much pleasure out of the team that I've built um, and knowing how much they make at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I could, if one of my team members can, um, can break a hundred thousand a year, like that's such a rewarding feeling for me because mm-hmm. I can produce a environment where I'm literally changing people's lives. Yeah. Talk about having a job that you can buy a real estate portfolio in New Mexico. Um, you can, you can do a lot of great things with pretty minimal income. We, yeah. uh, one benefit of living in a state that doesn't progress very much economically is that the cost of living here is, is minuscule. Yeah. So having a job, um, a sales job or a, a job where you can leverage um, performance for a much higher paycheck, which my insurance agency is exactly that, yeah. you, you can – I just love – the people that work for me, I, I really feel like they're – we have a great relationship and I, and I'm, I'm blessed to have earned the right to get their respect. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed to, to have the opportunity and have taken advantage of an opportunity to just build a team that really work hard for me. Yeah. And, um, my success is totally in their hands. They are, uh, I mean, I think we've built a good leadership, um, platform, which allows them to be happy and successful without a doubt. But, um, I can't talk about how awesome they are enough and mm-hmm. how, how successful we've been. And that goes to the gym as well. Same thing, just approaching the gym and having these great coaches that um, allow me to walk away and run some, some other responsibilities. Um, you, you have to, in other words, if you want to be a business owner, you better want to help other people. Mm-hmm. Because if, they're, if, if you're not willing to go without so that your employees can, can do bigger, better things, um, you will not grow, at least not grow in the yeah. in the capacity that I'm talking about. Yeah, my my dad. We were talking about this literally yesterday, because um, he's you know it's the end of the year, so we're he's making sure everything's closed out and getting everything ready for um, making sure everything's straightened out basically. And I was he was talking about the earlier days of his his business and when he would go to the bank and they would say, well. You, you need this money to hold for taxes and you need this money to hold for all, all these different things. And he was like, well, what the heck? I didn't get into this business to put money into the business. I got into this business so I can make a lot of money. And um, now he, he, he says, the, I mean, the best thing you can do is to, to grow that business and to serve that business and serve the people in the business because, like you said, their, their success is ultimately your success. Um, and... It's it's just a it's a disciplined mindset is what it is and that's kind of I mean that's what this podcast is about is yeah. a I, I certainly wouldn't tell um, anybody listening that everybody should go out and be an entrepreneur it's just not right like we talked about the different personality styles and the different ways that people think and it's okay to be a laborer my dad did it my whole life I thought that I was going to be that hardworking laborer my whole life and I, honestly I I would be very happy at it. Yeah. I'm good at solving problems and doing things. Hmm. And I was a great employee. Yeah. I am consistent. I'm hardworking and I figure stuff out without being told. I, I am a great employee. People yeah. love to hire me. Mm-hmm. It just turns out that those same attributes also uh, made me very happy as a business owner. So yeah. I, I don't think I'll be going back, but, yeah. um, 
but that's it's a good lesson to learn. It's okay to be that, and you will be so successful if you want to do that. Yeah. Um, it's a lot safer too. <laughs> in, in it a, is. Yeah. It is so much safer. Yeah. And yeah, you could get fired, but you can also just go get another job. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's like I guess the whole uh, the argument against some not unions, but just certain people are saying the employees deserve ownership if they're an employee, but they're not liable for anything. And right. that's, uh, that's a whole different topic, but, uh, moving into, uh, a little bit more personal discipline, which I, it's, it's obvious that you, you have, and you have ins- instituted in your life. I know recently, uh, or s- relatively recently you did the 75 hard challenge. Is that right? I did. Yeah. How how did that go? What what was that like? Um, well, I'm I'm very objective. Like I said, almost robotic. Somebody would some people would accuse me of being more robotic than subjective. But um, 75 hard was um, very simple on paper mm-hmm. and very difficult in the sense of um, priorities. We yeah. talked about priorities and investing and uh, shifting your priorities for fitness and finances, but when it comes to 75 hard, if you say yes to the program, it's a non-negotiable, absolutely zero um, compromise set of things that have to be completed. So for me, that fits my personality really well. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to give a ton of credit to my wife. She is the same way. She is so hardworking and so disciplined. And so with her, with my personality and with my wife's support, it was actually... uh, I don't want to call it easy because it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it was very um, organized. Mm. Our yeah. days were perfectly organized. Our nutrition was perfectly organized. Mm. And I owe that a lot to my wife. So yeah. um, if anybody was thinking about doing it, first of all, I'd say get a support system. Do it with somebody. Mm-hmm. Doing it by yourself, I would say you are you are a badass. Yeah. That is In amazing yeah. that you can do 75 hard by yourself because um, having a support system, I would say, five, five X is your likelihood of completing it. I, so I recently started, or I am doing this with my friend who lives in Dallas. Um, and I have attempted it once before and I failed, um, which I'm very disappointed in and frustrated with. Um, so it's been eating me away. So I knew I had to do it again. This, I mean, for me, my, I said this in the last podcast, but my, I just, the diet is the hardest thing for me because I love food and I, I take my stress out by eating a lot of food and just like engorging myself. Um, but I guess for people who don't know the 75 hard challenge, it's, um, you have to do a list of things. That's you got to work out twice per day, 45 minutes each, one of them being outside. Then you have to follow a diet. It doesn't tell you which diet to follow, but you have to follow a diet and be strict on it. You can't drink alcohol. You have to read, 10 pages per day, I think. Of nonfiction. Of nonfiction. And that, that's it, right? Um, and drink, oh, a, drink a gallon, gallon of water. water. Yep. And drink a gallon of water, which I, I definitely do. And, and the last thing is you have to take a photo of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a photo every day. Yeah. Progress pick, yeah. Yeah, I'm a terrible 75 heart uh, advocate. <laughs> I, I miss two of them. I do do them. You can look at my photo reel. It's actually kind of embarrassing. I, I also recommend you download the app. I think Andy Frisella charges like five bucks for the app. Or whatever. Oh, really? Download the app. I did not know and there was that. It's a, it's a, you can't mess it up. It's, if you get to midnight and you haven't finished, you get a notification and, and Andy's face is there saying, huh. did you, did you finish it or did you mess up your day? 
Yeah. Wow. I so, didn't. I didn't know there was an app. That's probably. Yeah, it's like uh, when I was a kid, I got the. I think Dwayne Johnson came out with a an alarm clock, and I was trying to wake up. For some reason, I was trying to wake up at 5 a.m. when I was 12 or something or 13, and so I was like, "Oh, this is the perfect alarm," and it was just Dwayne the Rock Johnson every morning saying like. Get up, mother effer. It's time to <laughs> get, get, go for the day. And my mom didn't appreciate it. But uh, the, the app is is um, necessary for yeah, sure. I'll, I'll definitely get the app because that's a that'll definitely help a lot. Yeah, the, the 75 hard challenge, I think it's interesting and it's something that the, this this book kind of talks about. It's building habit and there's uh, takes scientifically it's proven that it takes 66 days for a habit to be instilled into your life to where it's now lifestyle, not yep. habit. Um, or not a forced habit, I should say. Um, and I think the 75 hard challenge, it, it uh, is definitely on the more extreme side of something that you would do for the rest of your life. And I think a lot of, or for me, I, I try to tell people if they were asked for workout advice or nutrition advice is say, if you can't do it for, a year, don't do it for a day because you're probably not going to stay consistent with it. 75 hard challenge kind of gets in there a little bit because I do think there's seasons of sprints and then pulling yep. back a little bit. But what uh, what do you think the 75 hard challenge did for you outside of, well, with fitness included, but why, why like, would you do it again or would you recommend to do it again? Oh yeah, I, I would absolutely do it again. And I do think that we, we live life in cycles and, um, mentally and, um, and psychologically, our happiness needs to, to run in cycles. I think doing those um, requirements that we talked about earlier for the rest of your life, I think that would be a pretty um, unhappy existence. Yeah. You know? I think there's a purpose for it, and, and part of that purpose is, is earning self-respect. You know, I have this theory that happiness and self-respect are the same thing, hmm. and every time that you make a promise and keep a promise, you earn that self-respect a little bit more and a little bit more. Mm. And uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with progress. Like every day you, you do something, you, you accomplish something, um, you, you create something, and that self-respect just builds and builds and builds. And uh, maybe that's where that confidence comes from too. Yeah. But if think about unhappiness, that's when you, you watch that third Netflix episode and for some reason, that haziness comes over you and you're like, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're just not so happy anymore, you know? Yeah. Or um, or you said you were going to start the gym on Monday and you never did, of course, just like yeah. everybody else, you know? And and every time you do that, though, what you're actually doing is you're breaking a promise to yourself, which is you're losing self-respect. Hmm. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you said something and didn't do it. You're, you're building a reputation with yourself, whether you like it or not, so... Either you're building it good or you're building it bad. And I think that um, 75 hard is an opportunity to prove something to yourself. And that momentum that you build when you complete it, like if I can do this, it opens up this doorway to do some other things. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a huge drink the Kool-Aid Andy Frisella type of person, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I am saying that anything that you do that's that difficult, and that consistent, and you did it perfectly without fail, is going to build a lot of self-respect and mm -hmm. happiness that you can now take with you to that next project. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. I've never heard a 
I never heard that, but I couldn't really agree with it more. It's a uh, building building self respect and di- or uh, I guess proving to yourself more and more each day that you're you're going to do what you say. And I do think a, a level of happiness and uh, I, kind of the ability to live with yourself in a way, or the ability to trust yourself. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I, I, you know, talking about 75, I haven't thought about this in a while, but I remember listening to during 75 hard, and this was a year and a half ago. Um, I was listening to a ton of podcasts. Mm-hmm. One of them at the time was, um, um, Ed Milet. And okay. Ed Milet had this awesome podcast where he had this guy on it. Um, he was a neuroscientist talking about, um, the way that your body and your brain reacts to stimulus. Mm-hmm. And they used mice in the sense where you, if you, if the mice accomplished something, the task that they had, right, they, they were more likely to accomplish it again in the future. Mm. Talking about how progress and winning can be learned. Right. Okay. And, um, dopamine is this unique part of our brain that is associated with happiness. Mm-hmm. But what was unique about that podcast, and his name was Huberman. Um, Andrew Huberman. Andrew yeah. Huberman, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was unique about what he brought to that that podcast was that when you when you make progress in life, when you when you accomplish a task and when you do something, your body produces these stents of dopamine. And that happiness is literally coming from the progress. And what was really fundamental about that lesson was the end result often resulted in less, a a smaller dopamine release than the big um, progress that you made in the middle. So let's say you, you came across this threshold where you, you're, you're on a project and you, you, you pass this huge checkpoint. Yeah. That excitement and that happiness that you got from that moment is probably way more of a dopamine release than when you finish it and you're at the finish line and now you like, cool, I bought a house. All of a sudden, the, and, and I think it just goes to show that we were not built to settle and we were not built yeah. to reach a finish line. We were always built, you know, call it, um, uh, we were designed this way, yeah. which makes a lot more sense to me that yeah. we were designed to be constantly making progress and happiness yeah. comes from progress, not from the finish line. And I think if we all just realize that all of a sudden waking up every day and working hard wouldn't be that far-fetched and and, Mm. um i just recently saw a video not to get political again but of a of a a starbucks employee who was literally crying on a soapbox about having to work for eight hours and the working conditions are so terrible because there's not enough employees for the workload and i saw this yeah um it it just got me because i'm like my goodness sir like you you have no idea how lucky you are to be working and to and to be making progress and to be solving a problem hmm. and if you don't want to solve that problem for starbucks go solve it for something else go go wh- whatever it is please go find happiness hmm. and please go learn how to work hard for it yeah i think uh i mean that kind of brings everything that we've said is the that self-respect that self-discipline the uh self-responsibility and owning what you do and uh like you said solving a problem for something that's uh so interesting the i read a book a while ago i think this was i don't know it was a few years ago and it 
so it was a weird book. I don't know if I, I can't even remember the name of it, but it, it was kind of, there was a part of it that was talking about uh, the world has ever since basically America, the world has worked in 80 year like uh, increments. And there's, I'm sure you've heard the uh, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make easy times, easy times, or make strong men. Strong yeah. men, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever, however that goes. But uh, right now, where it's 2020 and the last kind of crisis or main world horrible thing was World War II in the 1940, and now it's 2020, and we have the pandemic which was, that's 80 years, and then before that was 1860. I believe that was the Civil War, and then before that was 1780s, and that was the Revolution, and mm-hmm. it's like, it's worked like that. Um, but it's interesting and freaks me out a little bit to think that there's a, I think there's something worse maybe happening. Yeah. And, I mean, prospectively, I, I think there's a always, no matter what situation you're in, we can be successful and we're going to whatever it, it, even if that means we're going into war or something there's still ways to be successful and that's where like real men are made i think um which i think is going way off topic of kind of what you were talking about but the that concept is interesting and well it does kind of go back to the beginning of the conversations about when you talked about that artificial motivation or that artificial grit that you it's not artificial but it's synthetic right yeah. it's that synthetic way of like I recognize how lucky I am, mm-hmm. and I choose to be better because of it. Yeah. Not I choose to be a weaker man that's going to create hard times. Sure. I choose to be a strong man that's going to create good times. Yeah, and even bringing that uh, more, I, I, I think Americans can think very, uh, they can have a very babyish impression of their upbringing, and I think someone like you or someone like my dad could... Uh, Definitely have an, an ideal of, well, I was poor and everything was terrible for me and nothing was working good and I have it, I just have it really bad. Um, and I have had the opportunity to spend some time in Africa, in Kibera, and the, which is what this coffee company is all about. And those kids would love more than anything to be a poor American. Yeah. They would love to be. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be in the projects or to be extremely poor, but I know those kids would way rather that because yeah. they live on something like, or I think it's a dollar every other day is what their family of usually eight to 12 people live on. Yeah, f- and 15 bucks a month. Yeah. And I was telling my my grandma, we just had a baby and she gave us $150 and I was like, Oh, awesome. And I put it in our little, not a junk drawer, but just where we kind of keep our, our stuff that we just randomly get. And I was just like, Holy moly. I just looked at $150 and was like, Oh, that's awesome. Like that, that it didn't have value, like no. true value to me mm-hmm. enough to where I was told my wife, well, if we can spend this on Christmas gifts and that's cool. Like that's nice, whatever. But, uh, I think it's, to the Starbucks thing, Americans just get this uh, entitled and weak mentality. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a way to necessarily change it for certain people. I think some people 
honestly, I think are weak and I think they need something like CrossFit or something to be hard mm -hmm. for them. Uh, and I don't know. It's, it's a uh, interesting, we've been going for over an hour, so I, I don't want to keep you. Have we really? Oh yeah. My it's gosh. hour 10 minutes right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but, uh, before you leave, I have two things that I like to ask these people that I admire and I, uh, and admire their discipline. First thing is what, what is just like a day in your life look like? What do you do? What time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? What do you do in the middle? What, what does all that kind of look like uh, on an ideal day? I'm sure there's craziness within days, but on an ideal day, what does that look like? Sure. So, so to mitigate craziness, I'm go to the 5:30 AM CrossFit class. It's no excuses at 5:30. get there, work out. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in the shower by 6 30. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm at one of my offices um, shortly after that, unless me and my wife have a plan to make breakfast or hang out, which, yeah. which happens. I really don't think I need to be at the office before 8.30. Cool. Um, yeah. I'm always usually there before that, but more just for preparation. But putting in a full day at the insurance agency, um, and I mostly am a cheerleader at this point, mm -hmm. and I put out fires. So yeah. my guys send me the most... Um, the most raging fire that, that that's, that's where, where I, where my genius is, is I'm really good with people and I'm really good at solving problems. So I don't want them focusing on putting out fires. They, they send those to me. That's where, um, I spend my days mostly. Mm. And then in the evenings I still coach CrossFit. So I still coach, mm -hmm. um, at least three days a week, um, from six to 7 PM. Um, and then I'm at home eating dinner with my wife. So yeah. that's, um, typically in bed by 8.45 to, to 9.30. Yeah. Um, but she's also five months pregnant. Wow. So we're awesome. going to yeah. have our first baby here pretty soon. That's awesome. Um, and we just found out, a little baby girl. That's awesome. Oh, that's so, so I'm cool. sure my days are going to change a lot. A little bit, yeah. Um, but what's important about what I choose to do every day is I am a very unhappy person if I didn't accomplish something throughout mm -hmm. that day. Yeah. And, uh, and I know myself. I know that's who I am. And so I love doing something hard every day, every yeah. single day. I, uh, I'm sure you know who Nick bear is. Um, he's a, he's a guy who owns bear performance nutrition, the supplement company. Uh, he lives in Austin, Texas, and he just had a baby and he's a notorious hard worker. He, uh, works long hours and his whole thing is if it's a priority, you'll make time for it. And if it's something I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I just had a baby and I'm young, so I, I if there's any uh, consolation, I think uh, babies are pretty resilient, especially when they're young. <laughs> they don't they don't really know much. And I mean, my wife is amazing and takes care of him super well. But uh, I think uh, children, especially, and I, I have a, a lot of men that I can look at and that have lots of children that I can see what mm -hmm. looks like. And lots of children. Yeah, well, yeah, lots and lots of children. And I can I know that the impact of there's a balance between presence and there's a or contrasting that between working hard and showing that hard work. And I think, I mean, you don't really have to worry about the hard working part, but some people get too, uh, too stressed out about, well, I have to spend all day with my, my kid, especially since I'm an entrepreneur and I can choose my schedule. I have to be home eight hours a day. And I don't think that's uh, always going to be a, super beneficial in the long run yeah. for my, uh, for my children. I may be wrong in that, but I know, I mean, when I was young, my dad wasn't, I mean, he was 
present every night, but he wasn't, he worked all the time. Yeah. Like he would work Monday through Sunday and probably be working 80 to 90, 100 hours a week, which doesn't leave a lot of time if you're trying to sleep and have kids and work out and do these things. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, I think it's shown me a lot of, I don't know, what it actually looks like to actually work hard. I can have my impression of what I think working hard is if I if I didn't see that, but I know that I, I grew up watching somebody work really hard and ultimately find find success from that. But I, so I think that'll. I'm looking forward to that um, that difficult though. I, I know that it's going to be hard to be a dad, and I, I look forward to that next yeah. challenge. I think I think me and uh, my wife are going to figure it out pretty well. So oh yeah, no, I I think you're going to be great. I think you're going to be a great great father, and uh, that's. I'm really excited about that. That's that's awesome. I think it's it's good. Good more good people need to have uh, children and mm-hmm. t- make that a priority. Um, and let's see, what is a kind of piggybacking off seventy five hard? What's a discipline that uh, you still implement to this day that you think uh, we or my listeners could uh, could implement into their uh, to their days to that you think will have a, a big impact or the highest impact? on their life? Um, I would say within short bursts, pick something like 75 hard is, is a good amount of days. 75 days is a good amount of days to take out something. So Mm. if it, if it was, if you are addicted to sodas, it is a great timeframe to take, just knock them out. Yeah. Um, it is a great timeframe to quit drinking alcohol. Yeah. Um, I drink way less alcohol now than I did before 75 hard. Yeah. And just because I went to so many social gatherings and realized that I'm happy without it <laughs> yeah. and, and people are happy with me without it. And I just, yeah. um, I'm, I'm a very happy drunk. That's for sure. Yeah. But I'm also uh, very happy without, without getting as, as intoxicated as I used to. So mm-hmm. it teaches you things about yourself that maybe you, you haven't realized yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one would be reading every night. Mm-hmm. If I could still um, read 10 pages of nonfiction every single night, uh, which I, I, I try to do, um, it's just not as disciplined if I was on a challenge, but that is such a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. I come, I come from nothing. I come from parents that have very low financial IQ and why am I financially successful? Uh, it's because I'm humble enough to realize that there's other people out there that have already invented the wheel and mm-hmm. I just need to find them. Cool. That's a, uh, that's awesome. I think 10 pe- people, uh, sleep on 10 pages. They think 10 pages is not enough, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm a guy of extremes. I think if I'm going to read every day, I need to read, uh, at one point I tried to we, I tried to read three books a week and I did that for, I think I did that for six weeks. Mm-hmm. I did 10 books. I read 10 books in six weeks and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. And then I realized all I was doing was skimming through and I didn't actually learn anything from a yeah. book. So 10 pages a day, it adds up over time. Small, small little disciplines. But uh what uh I guess last thing, where can where can people find you? Or where can people find the gym? What uh what does that look like to to get more people to to, to yeah, find so, you? So locally, Los Lunas, New Mexico is where our CrossFit gym is at. We're the only CrossFit gym there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's TBE CrossFit. TBE CrossFit, the box of enchantment. That's mm-hmm. what that that's stands awesome. for. Yeah. Um, and then for my agencies, we're a, we're a New Mexico uh, property and casualty insurance agency. We do everything from auto home, life, toys, um, RVs, uh, investments, IR, um, mm-hmm. 
we we can roll over a lot of investments into some of our investment products and mm. whole life insurance. So we're a jack of all trades in the in the insurance realm. Awesome. Well, I uh, really appreciate you hanging out with me and talking to me and helping helping us all out. Sorry for keeping you longer than uh, the hour that I, I, didn't that even I promised notice, you. Dude, I, but, uh, I just flew, it by. flew by. I yeah, enjoyed no, it. It was good. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for watching. Drink drink more Penda coffee, and uh, we'll see you guys uh, next Absolutely week. Absolutely delicious. Yeah, thank you guys.